Yeah. So that was nice because I can actually go a good portion of the day now and not even have a browser open. So well, my that... mind was my mind was just blown finding out I can pin tabs. Now really? I'm just, now I'm just pinning all my tabs. <laughs> yeah, you you can do that in Firefox too. By the way, that's like you could you could do that for like the last ten years. <laughs> I probably should have known that, huh? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a useful useful thing. You're listening to episode 144 of the infamously famous PHP Ugly Podcast. I am one of your humble hosts, Eric Van Johnson. Humble. With me, almost on a weekly basis. He may not be allowed within 150 yards of a school, but we allow him next to us, Thomas Wrightout. Hey! Hey, and with me as well, ironically enough, not allowed within 150 feet of a magic shop, don't ask, my good friend, John Congdon. Happy Pi Day. Happy, Happy Pi Day. Day. We almost have the numbers in our episode. If, if if it was last week, we would have nailed it, right? We, yeah. I mean, they wouldn't have been in order, but they would have been there. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. Yes. Even though I said the wrong Happy Pi Day. Well, I said the wrong numbers last week at the opening, so this could be 143. That works. Did you listen to last? Did you listen to last week? Of course. I edited it, so you you said the right number. Uh, you said it's episode 143. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just all on me to screw things up, then. Yeah, pretty much. That's fine. Yeah, I, I cleaned I cleaned it all up. I left Thomas's mistake in at the end. You know, just. Just to remind everybody that Thomas makes mistakes, but rarely. But it, but it happens. <laughs> it's nice. No, on, it's nice on when it's recorded. Regular occasions. <laughs> How's everybody's week? Fantastic. Fantastic. Huh? Sure. Fucking terrible. See, it's always terrible. So I was trying to change it up a little bit by saying it was fantastic. This, this, this is among friends. I can't lie to you guys. Holy shit! Let's hear it. Um. Well, let, let's let's open with you guys had a meetup this week. So I want to hear I want to hear about that before I just start into my whole <laughs> depressing saga. Let's see. Oh, uh, I, uh, I, I was I heard it well. I, I wasn't there. <laughs> Yeah, neither John nor myself made it to uh, this month's meetup, so we uh, we had somebody else run it for us. But I heard it went very well. Uh, started it was late. A presentation started late. But... Yeah, it started a little late, but it, uh, they did a talk on queuing and PHP, and or there were some good conversations. One I would have liked to have seen, but did not make it. Sorry, Maxim. So we well, have some good news before before okay. you start dragging us through the mud. We uh we we've gotten some confirmations. People are getting their their reward packages. The people from our let's post them up. Uh, our our patrons from Patreon 
You'll note that my name are, is not on there. It's not. I felt really bad, too, oh. because I, I did... Well, no, the reason I felt bad is because I did I did send out an extra uh, care package to somebody who's helped us in the past. And I, I, I'd been long time. Yeah. I've been promising him for a while. I'd send him, you know, some, some swag. And, uh, that, that was TJ Miller. And, uh, yeah. So he, he posts his tweet that he got his and I'm like, yeah, damn it. I forgot to send Thomas his. <laughs> I remember TJ's. It was funny. Cause I, I, I went, I did the, went to Patreon, pulled down the list. You know, we had to do the whole continental us. I was filtering people out and I'm like, Oh yeah, you know, since I have the assistant putting together these packages, let me add TJ's name to that so that you know she'll put put together one for TJ as well. And uh, she she done that, and I totally forgot to add you, Thomas. I feel like such a jerk. That's <laughs> uh, okay. I'm very easily easy to forget. No, you're not. You're always high on the list. Okay, so I I have a lot to talk about. Uh, I don't know, do you want to go first, Thomas? Because it sounds like you have things you want to get off your chest. Well, this week was going to be my presentation on GraphQL. And mm-hmm. uh, I got 23 slides into the presentation just about understanding the schema as it's been published by Facebook. So pretty deep into you know, 30 minutes of just schema explanation and realized, you know, I've got three days left to get this whole thing wrapped up and I don't have an example application. I don't have anything practical to show. All of this is just text on a page that doesn't do anything. Not, mm-hmm. not the most helpful. Uh, so I started spinning up a project running Laravel, uh, Lighthouse, View, and Tailwinds. And realized, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know view and tailwinds as well as I wish I did right now. <laughs> well, you don't need it for GraphQL. It's not a. It's not a. What? It's not an interface thing. Well, because of how it's because of how it works, you don't want to just query GraphQL from inside your application. You want JavaScript or an external app to query it. It's meant for APIs. Right. Right, exactly. So Postman, I, man. I wanted some nice way of showing it off, not just a Postman query or anything like that. Um, especially okay. because a lot of the features in Lighthouse are very, very nice for pagination and for things like that. Uh, stuff that you really visually want to show off. Okay. Um, so it, it just... I, I could have given the presentation, but it wasn't up to my standards. So... Um, Wait, you have standards? Giving the, yeah, I, I'm working on that part, too. So instead of giving the presentation, I summoned a, a bomb cyclone on all of Colorado. <laughs> uh, the, the I, day I, 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 I didn't know you wielded such powers. I do. It's, yeah. it's mostly panic-driven magics. <laughs> um. Yeah, bomb cyclone, uh, 94 mile per hour gusts, uh, trees knocked over in our neighbor's yards and fences blown into the street. And it was, it's crazy. Oh. I mean, if you see the pictures from it, you'll understand. It's It's been totally nuts here. Um, which means that 
I'm now on my third day of the kids not having school. Holy smokes. Yeah. Uh, they didn't go to school Wednesday, didn't go to school today, and they're not going to go to school tomorrow. Because the streets are just ice. It's not safe to travel. Mm. Well, so, that doesn't that's sound interesting. Like yeah. Now, one of my kids <clears throat> was already home from school for five days because he was suspended. So... That was interesting. So, do, to... do, does the town you're in do they have sirens for stuff like that, or is it just yeah, no clue who's coming, and next thing you know, you're no. Being everyone blown just tells everyone else, and then you can see, like we went out Tuesday night, uh, the wife and I, and you could see the storm coming over the mountain. You could see that it was, you know eight hours away it's just watching watching these giant clouds building up at the peaks and starting to spill over so that's our weather system but yeah it's been a it's been a nightmare of a week just with uh, um, the logistics of uh, everything well <laughs> that's not too bad well my son too... now has a court appointment that's... I'm not sure if that's something we we want to broadcast or not, but I cleared it with I'm the wife. Sorry. He, he What's f- going? He found marijuana at school. And uh. instead of turning it in, he was asking his friends what to do and a teacher saw. Uh. So Yep, that's no no. I had to I had to speak with the police officer just to verify that it wasn't <clears throat> my marijuana that it was marijuana that he found they verified that yeah I, he showed it to me i was like oh yeah that's not mine <laughs> mine's all leafy and purple <laughs> Tom, thomas just starts smoking in front of the officer that doesn't taste right <laughs> oh, this is sour diesel i haven't had that in months this is not kush <laughs> All right, well, but I've, I've got lots of extra time to work on my presentation. Uh, we have there pushed we the meetup to next month, so I'm excited. Should to be, be able plenty to build, of time. I'm excited to be able to build a real view Tailwinds app. Uh, it'll be my first one, and see how it comes together. Nice. What's your thought on um, any thoughts on GraphQL yet? It's really cool. It it is a whole language on its own. So to to do what you want to do with it, or to even know what you want to do with it, you have to read a lot. Because it has so much flexibility, so much functionality. Yeah, I I think the... uh, I, I honestly have not read all the specs for GraphQL, but I did dive pretty deep into the Lighthouse documentation. And of course that that abstracts away a lot of the complexity for you if you're using a Laravel. Um and I tell you what, that Lighthouse uh implementation is just so solid, uh, so sweet. Uh we're we're actually looking I, I played with it for a while. Um yeah, I, I tried not to get too too 
on board with it too quickly. Uh, but we are we are actually now adding it to a project we're working on. And it, uh, I it have makes spa apps look much easier to make. Have you yeah, experienced well, yeah. that at all? Yeah. Well, yeah. That, I mean, that's that, going into it. That's kind of our philosophy around it because. Um, this app that that we're building is an internal app that that really won't be touched by the outside world, so it's really directed at just making building the spa piece uh, a little quicker and a little easier, where um, the front end developers won't have to reach out to the back end developer every time they want a new endpoint. They just have to, you know, as long as 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 long as it's a resource they can query, then they can just query it however they want to query. But that's what I love about it. It's like it's not only a spa thing; it's anything, right? It, even public APIs. Once you yeah, get it configured, yeah. yeah, it's just like, yeah, you know, here's the data I'm offering you. Ask for whatever you want. I'm, you know, I'm not going to make you go to five different endpoints to get five different sets of data. Now, the thing, the thing I've had trouble with is that uh, once you get the schema pulled in and you start writing out your, your lighthouse type schema, mm -hmm. the uh, PHP Storm doesn't like how flexible no. the lighthouse no, it, version is. Yeah, well, just that YAML file you're talking about? No, the, the, the uh, lighthouse config file? The, the schema dot... Uh, oh, right, right. The dot schema files. Right. Dot GraphQL. The schema. Schema dot GraphQL. It has a lot yeah. of yeah, directives it, it doesn't, and it, stuff that yeah. Storm doesn't know about. It just doesn't understand how to process. It's a format. It just doesn't understand how to process. Yeah. Well, you can create a GraphQL schema that PHP Storm can understand and parse because there are all of the directives in Lighthouse are valid to GraphQL, and there is a GraphQL plugin for PHP Storm. The issue is that the schema definition is like an XML schema definition. It's gigantic. So it's, yeah. you know, 30 pages long, and you have to say, okay, you're allowed to use the equals operator here, but not here, and this is where it's required, but not required. And I just haven't been able to find one that somebody has already written that is GraphQL compatible mm. for PHP Storm. Yeah. It's just a matter of time, probably. Yep. But... So we talked uh, last week a little bit after the LarryCon online, um, being asked about this in Discord as well, about Frick's demonstration on event sourcing. Um, he was doing, he did an implementation around event source, and we had been working with event sourcing for a while, and uh, you know we had started going down the path of uh, another kind of framework called Proof. Um, we had the developers who were doing a lot of the event sourcing kind of reevaluate uh, the, the direction where we went in because it's early enough in the project. It would be pretty easy to pivot if, if we needed to. And they looked at uh, Frick's uh, implementation again. And I think everybody kind of agrees that from a real basic level, if you're looking to get into to event sourcing, it's a good approach to take. Um, we have some requirements around event sourcing. 
specifically um, the ability to play back events and how they get played back. And with event sauce, there's there's a lot of mentality of well, you know, you can just do that yourself. I think I understand the mentality. To be honest with you, I I personally haven't had a deep dive with our developers on this yet. But I mean, in in my most simplistic understanding of events at this point, because the developers who are working on this have far surpassed what you know the little bit of research I've done with event sourcing. But in my head, I understand where event sauce is coming as far as roll your own because. If you stored the event, you have the event and all the data. So if you ever have to play back, you just have to figure out how you're taking those events out of the event store and then reprocessing them through your through your system. It shouldn't shouldn't be that difficult to do. But of course, I say that as somebody who's never done it, right? So it's easy for me to say that. Anyways, with proof, there was already some uh, functionality around playbacks and things like that. So they're continuing down the path of proof for the more complex um, environment. Uh, whether or not we use proof across the board for all of our projects is still kind of up in the air. We're still kind of having that conversation. But um, but the short of it is the event sourcing uh, stuff that Freck demoed and uh, his packages. Yeah, I mean, they're a great starting point. Um, you know, if if you're looking to get started with the event sourcing and you're you need to you need to find where square one is, that's a good square one. Uh, really, event sourcing is is so um, specific to everybody's implementation and what it is they're looking to get out of it. It's going to be hard to have you know a one size fits all solution. So. So yeah, I mean, if you're looking for Square One, if you want to get get get, if you want to get into event sourcing, you know that's a good place to start. Uh, but if you have specific requirements, look a little deeper into event sauce. Look a little deeper into proof. Uh, there's some others out there as well, and just make sure that though you know the direction you're going in meets all the requirements that you have. You know, I, um, I, I know another developer that worked on event sourcing. Uh, on a separate project, I don't think he's using any sort of event library. I really need to talk to him more about that. Friend of the show, Tim Lytle, by the way. I know he's uh, yeah. I mean, recently done it, so just curious why he would, what his reasoning for not using a library was. Uh, he enjoys punishment. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what what his reason would be. Uh, you know, but uh, but at the same time, if you think of, if you think of the most simplistic implementation of of event sourcing, it, it probably wouldn't be that hard just to roll your own. Yeah, that's true. So it, de- yeah. it probably depends right, on so... how, how deep you're getting into it. If you're projecting to lots of different places versus just keeping it all in MySQL within the same database, right? Right. I think that that's one of the big big requirements as well yeah yeah daryl 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 hears me he's he's down with the proof yeah uh but dev circus yeah i mean feel free to to dive into it it's fun stuff i tell you it's definitely changing my viewpoint of data where it used to used to be 
you know, hey, whatever's in the database is in the database. I don't really know how it got there, but that's what's there. To, yeah, being able to prove, you know, why that data is there, you know, why that balance is that balance is like it's one of these things like once you start thinking about it you don't want to not do it that way like you always want to be able to prove okay here's why the balance is at the balance because i have all these events here that when when you run through these events they equal that total and that's well that's uh the the thing i loved is when we demoed it to a client and we thought it was really cool that we had all the events stored separately wipe out the transaction table and say look you can rebuild it and they're like well, how do you know you rebuilt it correctly? And (laughs) why would you rebuild it? And all we were trying to demo was that that is capable, that we're capable of rebuilding it. Uh, You can't get to event, you know, 100 unless you played the first 99. And for some reason, that simple demo turned into this whole, like, bigger question. See that yeah. what you have to do to mitigate that is take it even bigger and say, well, given the nature of quantum computing, there's no assurances until we reach paired qubits that any data is correct. <laughs> we need you on these calls, Thomas. We really do. Yeah. I can I can was blur fun- the lines so quickly between what we're talking about. It's just well, you know, how do I know if this data is correct? Well, according to Einstein's theory of relativity, there is no way to know that this is correct. However, given Hawking's knowledge of information lost through a black hole, there is evidence that some information can be lost and then transfer, transferred to a different dimension, a different reality. So were there a case where in an alternate reality someone's server matched your server and got too close to a black hole, there could be a, a, a consistency issue with the data. Why did you ask him? <laughs> but see, I'm we check sure. for that. We check for that. We have at our office, we have uh, graviton wave detectors. So that should be mitigated. There you go. Well, I pointed out quickly that one, we wouldn't destroy the, the transaction table the way he did it. That was just an example of replaying data and that, it's really useful if we want to replay the data somewhere else to do other analysis. And that, that seemed to calm them down a little bit. And what's funny is like, before I even did the demo, I'm like, I told him, I'm like, we would never do it this way. This isn't what we would use it for. We have other methods of recovering databases, but we're going to do this just to show you that it can be done. Mm-hmm. See, and, I, like, I then, like that. Yeah. We would never do it this way. All right, let's go do it this way. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so, but it was cool. I mean, it, it was cool to, that the you're, you're able to play the transactions back, and and I understood their question of you know, well, how how do you know that the transactions are correct, that the events are correct? It's like that's ah, a slippery slope. I mean, you're really opening Pandora's box at that that point. Well, yeah, but, sell them on you know, the blockchain I, solution. Shh. That's, that's, oh, that came up in the same conversation. Sell them on blockchain. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to sell them on blockchain. They want blockchain. Um, they really want blockchain. And, yeah, it's... We talked about it in the last we'll, show. We'll, we, we, yeah, we'll probably we'll probably get there with them, but, yeah. Oh, okay, is, is there such a thing as an immutable database? 
I'm sh- well, yeah. The the archive I mean, within MySQL, the archive uh, engine is immutable. I'm wondering if there's and, like and, a whole engine that's immutable. Archive. Well, I mean, like like CouchDB. I mean, CouchDB. You can't ever change an actual record. You can only change the event. Like like CouchDB almost does event sourcing on their records. So right. whenever you change a record, it it captures all that information it of what was a changed log instead of right. updating a record. Right. Yeah. So I mean, Couch. That's actually one of the one of the features I really like about CouchDB, and one of the arguments one of our developers keeps bringing up about But, but they only it. keep the history for so long, right? It's not endless history. No, no. Yeah, as far as I know, it's endless. I mean, I think you can configure it, but... Oh. Yeah, Google's big block. Because the they're small little changes. I mean, they're they're just, you know, fractions of, of memory. Gotcha. All right, so I wanted to share. I wanted to share some fun stuff with you guys. I I told John a little bit about this. Um, I, I'm pretty well known between the three of us as being more exploratory as far as like trying out new products and positions. services. Sure, Lures. sure, positions. You know, lubes, flavors, what? all that. But I rarely stick with any of them. I, I, you know, I'll try them. I'll come on the show. We'll talk about them for a while, and then you know, I stop using them. Um, rarely do I ever make fairly significant changes to my toolkit, like I have probably over the last month. Probably the last time I've done this was when I went from using Vim as my primary development tool to PHP Storm. That's probably the last time I really changed anything of any significance. But I've done I've done a lot of changing over the last month, and I wanted to share a few of the things with you guys. You guys ready for this? Because it's going to build up to something that I think you're actually going to like, Thomas. I promise. I, There's, there'll I be agree. a real climax to the end of it. Sort of. Well, I don't I don't know about that, but okay. So it started it started a few about a month ago when we were going through the whole Facebook shenanigans and all that. And I try to cut back over to Firefox as my browser. And I ran into all these little hiccups and issues and this and that. Ended up going back to Chrome. Was a little bummed about it. But I, uh, I also found out that Firefox had that um, those containers for Facebook. So what I had done, I used an application launcher on my system. Uh, all Macs have them. I actually use a, a, a third party called Alfred, which I can go in there and configure. So I actually configured Alfred so that when I want to go to Facebook, I open up Alfred, I type in Facebook, I hit enter, and it actually opens up Facebook and Firefox in the Facebook container. So that was kind of my first step. I like that a lot because it you know it makes going to Facebook a very intentional action. I was able to log out of Facebook everywhere, everywhere else and... Um, yeah, so that was kind of like my first siloing off some of my identity. What, what is? And it was a Facebook. What stuff. is a Firefox container? Because I don't even I have not heard of that. So, uh, it's it's an extension. It's one of the recommended extensions in Firefox. I think I think they're building it into one of the upcoming releases. But what it does is, uh, when you when you go to certain sites, Facebook being one of them, it it creates a basically a a tab just for Firefox. 
and it doesn't bleed that information out to your other tabs. So whatever you it's do like in, that, in that, right. But the good thing about it is when you relaunch Firefox, you know, all your Facebook stuff is still in your Facebook tab. It just doesn't allow Facebook to track you from other tabs. It keeps all the Facebook stuff in that tab oh, that's a, through that's, the conventional that's my under- tracking systems. That's yeah, that's my understanding of it. So that was that was kind of, kind of the first thing I did. I'm like, all right, that, that's kind of cool. Um, the next thing I did because I really I really started want, wanting to limit my exposure on Chrome, and so I started thinking about all the what I I was telling John, I call them focus apps, like the applications I use in Chrome that require like pretty much 100% of my focus. And I came across this app called Shift. And I I think I tweeted about this. I'll I'll put, I'll put all links to these in the show notes as well. But, um, but what Shift was, is I thought it was like an Electron app that was just uh, going to be uh, another browser. And yeah, it might be that, but Ooh, it's cool. it, it. Yeah, Shift is kind of cool um, because what it allows you to do is first thing is easy for me always to get to my where my mail is by tabbing through my apps. I don't have to tab through my browser anymore. But also in Shift, I'm a, I'm able to I have like our project management system on there. I have GitHub on there. Like again, all these applications that require my attention are on shift now and again I've cleared those out of my browser so they're they're not they're not in my browser anymore. So kind of the same Go ahead. So I was just going to say I've been using it too and there there are a lot of limitations on it as well. But go ahead and continue. Uh, on. A lot? What like what what would you consider a lot of limitations? Uh keyboard shortcuts. I wish there were a lot more to to get Yeah, I I agree with you there. Between yeah. The, because I always kept like my Gmail as the first tab. It was a pin tab, so it was always there. Um, my project management software was a second tab, so all I had to do was with my keyboard, I could get to Chrome, and then within there, I could get to the proper window, and then from there, I could get to the proper tab, usually within four or five key keystrokes. So. With shift, I can still switch over to shift very easily, you know, with the command tab. But navigating within shift is a pain in the ass. Yeah, and I, and I again, I think I kind of like it that way because I'm not looking to spend a lot of time there. But yeah, I I, I do wish there was a way to get from the applications like like the project management application I have in here back to my email with like you said a keyboard shortcut and there just there just isn't an easy way of doing that luckily all the gmail shortcuts still work so navigating through email uh archiving deleting all that still works pretty well yeah so that was nice because i can actually go a good portion of the day now and not even have a browser open so my mind was my mind was just blown finding out i can pin tabs now I'm, really? just, now I'm just pinning all my tabs. <laughs> yeah, you you can do that in Firefox too. By the way, that's like you could you could do that for like the last ten years. <laughs> I probably should have known that, huh? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a useful useful thing. Yeah, 
And the thing about the pin tabs, uh, Thomas, is when when you close your browser, you open your browser, all your pin tabs come back. No, they, they they're they're always there until you close them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, and they don't have X's on them, so you don't accidentally close them. Oh. Okay. Hey, you, well, there you, you go, you, Thomas. You learned something. Still use a short keyboard shortcut to accidentally close it, but yeah. So then, I'm not done yet. So then I made a pretty drastic change. It 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 took me about two or three weeks to, to really decide that this was the direction I was going to go in. But after using Evernote for probably 15 years, and I can't even tell you how much I have in Evernote. I mean, I have tons of information in Evernote. I think I finally made the switch over to another note-taking system called uh, Notion, N-O-T-I-O-N. Excuse me. Um, again, you know, it just had some features that I had been looking for for a long time in Evernote. And, uh, you know, like a perfect example was today, I was I was actually, you know, bouncing a question off of uh, T.J. Miller. And uh, we we were we were exchanging messages over Telegram, and I wrote up this big uh, code snippet with like database migrations and stuff, and I tried to put it in in um, Telegram, and it's just like ah oh, that looks horrible. And I I could have done I could have gone over to to a service like Gist or something and put it, but I just went ahead and put it in my Notion. I created a note for it and shared it publicly and sent it to TJ. And he even replied, he goes, oh, that's so much easier to read. Thank you. <laughs> but it has, like, a lot of uh, markdown ability, being able to do markdown and stuff like that. Uh, so I'm liking that. But the big thing, the big thing that happened to me, so I, I, I felt like I needed to share those other ones because I really don't change tools a whole lot. And the fact that I changed so many within the last month was was significant. But I have never pivoted so hard on a tool that I've been using for so long, so quickly. And it's a tool that I had already tried to pivot off once before, Chrome. But on Friday, I heard about um, a project called Brave, B-R-A-V-E. And it was a browser that's meant to have your security in mind. And I'm like, all right, let me, let me take, give this a look. Figured I'd play with it for the weekend and, you know, not even worry about it. Well, come to find out that Brave is Chromium, right? It's a it's a it's a version of Chromium, so it's Chrome under the hood. So all all your extensions and stuff still work. Uh, and I I I installed it Friday. Come Sunday, I realized that I was still only using Brave. Not only was I only using Brave, but I had already replaced it on all my mobile devices, my iPad. my uh, I, The only place I hadn't replaced it on was my desktop at the office. And uh, I came in Monday morning, replaced it, and still to this day, there, there, there are a couple of shortcomings. Uh, there are a couple of things I've discovered that, but not enough to make me go back. Like... I pivoted hard over to Brave, where that's that's now my browser. Like that's my default browser across all my devices now. It's Brave. Now, and you may remember Brave from a previous story about a web browser that was collecting donations for YouTubers and keeping it. 
Was that Brave? Yeah. Really? <laughs> I am not a fan of Brave. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm um, sorry. Their business model is dubious at best. Uh, they... Well, well, well for, first thing, so so in their defense, the the uh, any donation system that you participate in is off by default, and you have to opt in. So for now, there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. For now. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, but I don't know. I I like it. I mean, like if I open up, if I open up, my, the the biggest thing it does for anybody interested is all those extensions that you have to block, you know, ad blocks and trackers and stuff like that. It kind of does as part of the browser now, and it's cool because when it, whenever you open a new tab, it lets you know to date, you know how much. Like here, here at my office, if I open up my browser, it says I am I've saved four minutes and have blocked seven hundred trackers and thirty six hundred ads, and it had automatically upgraded me to HTTPS on two hundred and seventeen occasions, which means, you know it. I was going to an HTTP site and it automatically redirected me to HTTPS because it saw that there was a valid HTTPS site for it. So it's just some of the built-in functionality. Now, there is some trade-off with this. A um, couple things I noticed was... Uh, one, one of the things I noticed is that my, my little media keys on my keyboard uh, where on my other browser, if I was playing Google Music, for example, I could pause with my keyboard doesn't seem to work with brave um the big thing is like in google where you sign into the browser you know you actually sign into your browser and say hey you know, this this is my gmail account and that's what keeps all your stuff synced across all your computers uh you don't do that with brave and so which if you only have one computer it's probably not that big of a deal but for me i use the whole when I get home, I'll pull up a tab that I had on my desktop at the office. Um, I use that a lot, and I don't have that functionality, so I'm I'm adjusting to it. Uh, I'm I'm having to remember that I have to save uh, tabs that I want to open at the house, and I usually throw them in my little to do list. But but that that was that was probably the biggest thing. It's like oh this sucks. I really needed that tab in here and. But besides that, I don't know. I'm liking Brave. Did you import all of your bookmarks and cookies and everything when you installed it? So bookmarks, yes. Uh, that was the only thing, the only option you had to import. Import. But what I discovered is I think it's using the same store for cookies and sessions as the Chrome browser did, because. Um, you know, I, I'll hit sites for the first time in Brave and not have to log in. Pretty sure that was an option when you first opened it, was going through a whole import thing. Oh, okay. Maybe I didn't didn't, didn't pay attention. I, I noticed the bookmark import, import. Maybe I did import all of it. Maybe that's why that's working. If you just went through and like, next, 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 then yeah, I think you yeah, imported everything. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am hardcore brave now, and uh, not not looking back. 
Yeah, I've been one of using it. A one of their. Too. Ah, cool. One of their monetization strategies is having users mine currency, having a miner built into the browser, which was kind of my idea for Buscoin. If you look up Bravecoin, then you'll see uh, a bit of a rundown on their intention to combine the blockchain into the browser. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's called the basic attention token and the idea is that you can enable advertising with a payoff to the consumer so advertisers pay you to watch the ads in this bat token mm-hmm. and yeah, I actually, I, it's funny you should say that. I actually have that enabled. That That's the one thing I, I enabled. I haven't seen it so actually was, getting used by anybody. I, yeah, I, I enabled it. I have no... I, apparently, I haven't generated anything. Um, this, is, for me, this is one of the big issues, is because they've got an ad blocker built into the browser, but their revenue model is allowing ads through if they pay in Batcoin. <laughs> so it's an me, ad blocker, but it's an ad blocker at their discretion. Let me go ahead and open up my browser here and I'll share it on the screen so you can kind of see what I see. Uh, good, close all this stuff off. Alright, let me share it on, uh, nope, that's not what I want to do. Website up. All right, let me share it on OBS so you guys can see. I need to switch. We'll switch Firefox over to uh, to Brave. Where's Brave at? Here we go. All right. So this is the Brave browser. Uh, this is the whole browser here, and uh, this is the this is that bad coin you're you're talking about here. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I don't know what you need to do to actually. And again, this this is the thing I, I opted into because I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. Let me let me see what that's about. But um, yeah, it's I don't I'm not sure how it works or or how you get how you get money, but yeah, it's there. Uh, it, so th- this is also that, what I, I was talking. Up, it'll tell you right there. Uh. uh so you can purchase tokens. You can just add funds. Uh, you can earn tokens from viewing ads, and occasionally you'll be offered free token grants from Brave. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not that stressed about it. So here's that other thing I was saying. So, so this is, this is a different. This is my laptop here, but so the, the numbers are different. I, I don't know what I said earlier, but like on this one, it says you know estimated time saved seven minutes. Looks like a uh, sixty-nine upgrades to HTTPS. So it's just uh, I don't know. I mean, and like you said, it looks and feels just like uh, just like uh, Chrome. If I go over to preferences, I mean, I don't have that. There's a sync option that's being that's experimental for, but it's just for bookmarks. I don't think it's for anything else. Hmm. Um, 
But See, I mean, my, my big issue is just that Oh, you, you know what else you would like about this? Check this out. Not only does it have incognito, it has... Wait a second, where's that? Oh, where'd it go? Private window? Oh, private. Well, it had private with Tor. As... Wait a minute, there's private. Do you enable from within there? There you go, with Tor there so on the now... right. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Just in case your internet's too fast, you want to slow it down some. Yeah, yeah. So, so you have an incognito mode with Tor as well. Um, I, I could have sworn I I had enabled it by up here the last time, but yeah, I don't know. It's uh, let me see. Maybe maybe it's, maybe it's from here. Let me see. Here it is, right here. O open in private window. Open in private window with Tor. So you can actually you can actually tour it if you if you want to. And like you said, it just slows things way <laughs> the hell down. It's getting there. It's getting there. Do people actually use but Tor yeah. like, consistently because the couple times I've tried it, it, like you said, it just way too slow. It... I mean, I'll. I'll... Sure. I'll, I'll use it when I want to make sure I'm coming from different locations. I mean, that's the big thing about it. it, it well, it hides your location, but you, you come from another location. So if I'm looking at like, how uh, a site is behaving from random places around the Internet, I'll, I'll use Tor. Mm. But, I mean, not, not really. I mean, it's, it's slow as hell. It's so slow. The other thing that... Uh, I'm curious to see if you stick with this. The other thing that was in there was that DuckDuckGo. Do you use that, Eric? I thought I remember seeing you do that. Yeah, so I, I've kept DuckDuckGo on um, on the laptop uh, for work, for the desktop. I I kept it on Google. I'm trying to give DuckDuckGo uh, you know, a solid a solid attempt. Um, it You get very different search results, I'll be honest with you. Uh, it's... It's a little jarring at first. The biggest thing I don't like about DuckDuckGo, and again, I'm only using it on my laptop, but the biggest thing I don't like about DuckDuckGo is the, in Google, you have the ability to filter your search results to post within like the last year, last use month, last whatever, whatever. Yeah, me too. I, I I wish I could just default that to the last year. It's like, give me just the last year. I don't care about anything else. Mm -hmm. But in DuckDuckGo, oddly enough, um, you can only go back to the to the last month. Uh, here, let me let me go back over here. So if if you go over to uh, if you go DuckDuckGo, you'll you'll see I actually have some of my search. Uh, Search options. So, where it says anytime here, mm -hmm. let me make this bigger for everybody. Where it says anytime here, uh, of course, safe search is off. I do have it limited to the U.S. You only have anytime, past day, past week, past month. You don't have, for whatever reason, oh, that's weird. no past you year. Can't scroll down right there. It's no. Huh. I mean, that's bizarre, yeah. right? It's like why, why not the past year? So this is this is one of the biggest hangups i have with uh with duck, duck go right now that and the fact that um the fact that the results are so different the results different. 
yeah, the results are just so different. It's it's really weird. But yeah, I'm giving it, I'm giving it a shot, checking it out, seeing. But I probably I probably won't stick with that. Just curious when you're, I when I saw the, the internet tool set of a real of a real criminal. <laughs> I mean, I'm getting suspicious of you just seeing that you're using DuckDuckGo and Tor and Brave. Behind I'm liking VPNs. the Brave. <laughs> I actually have two VPNs on my machine. It's always a pain in the ass. He does. I have a weird issue with one one of them. An open VPN connection on my laptop only doesn't affect the desktop. Every time I connect to it or disconnect, my DNS is broken. I have to go into my network settings, uh, yeah, either that's add right. or remove a DNS server, and then it works fine. Every single time. <laughs> so, so bizarre. It's so annoying. And I'm like, how would somebody that doesn't understand networking deal with this? Like, you can't. Yeah. I, I happen to find a workaround that w- works for me. And I just, yeah, just stay on the VPN. I do. I'm on a VPN right now. I am too. I'm on two. Yeah, but you have, I, I, I've noticed I've gone to a couple of uh, like coffee shops that, are, that flat out block VPNs. They kill me. And I would even be okay with it if the if the Wi-Fi wasn't like an open Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, come on, man, give me give me something here, you know. I've got a little bit of internet news. My, my internet connection news. Uh, I was hanging out with a friend of mine the other day, and he was telling me that he's got gigabit through Xfinity. And I said, well, that's strange. I asked for gigabit, and they said it wasn't available. That was when I moved in here. Uh, he said, well, they just, just added it as an option, and we're getting it for, like, 65 bucks now. God damn it. So I called up Comcast. My current bill is one hundred and ninety nine ninety five Because I have I had the highest tier of internet service it was 250 megabit and i also had to pay an additional amount of money for unlimited unlimited so when you when you buy it they say unlimited internet but it means unlimited internet is a trademark Mm. for unlimited to a point (laughs) yeah for one terabyte (laughs) um so when i went over that limit twice in a row i decided yeah i'll pay the extra money for actually actually unlimited unlimited yeah, we if I have to double all the words, so, just makes it funny. That's I, I think that I don't know what it's actually called. It's called like UAT Extra, or they had to come up with something that didn't have the word unlimited in it because their limited version already had unlimited in it. <laughs> Anyways, <clears throat> I start chatting online with Comcast and say, "Hey, uh, so you've got Gigabit now," and looking at my bill. It would be cheaper if I upgraded to gigabit internet. And the lady says, yes. <laughs> like, okay, then let's, let's do that then. And she says, okay. And they say, okay. And I do a speedtest.net run before I say, go for it. And afterwards, and lo and behold, I'm now maxing out my 
four-channel cable modem at 300 megabit per second, and I'm saving $40 on my internet plan. <laughs> and as soon as I go out and buy a $130 router that's got 32 channels, then I will be running at one gigabit at my house. Well, you, you need more than that, we learned. So, funny thing, funny funny story. Uh, of of the Diego Dev people, I'm the spender. Like, I will go out, you oh, know, I I'll, know, I'll tell... I've seen it. I'll tell John, I'm like, hey man, I'm, I'm, buying, I'm buying an arcade machine. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> Why? I'm like, no, it's a business expense, trust me. <laughs> But uh, recently, we were kind of in the same boat. Unfortunately, there wasn't the savings that you, you got. But John messaged me. He goes, hey, uh, Cox has gigabit to the office now. Do we want it? I'm like, how much more is it? And he told me. It was like you know, triple what we're paying or whatever. I'm like, I don't know. I, I haven't really noticed anything with what we have now. I think we're okay. He goes, okay, I'm ordering it. <laughs> It wasn't quite that bad, but yeah. <laughs> but it was. But what we learned, uh, well, first thing, we had suspect, already suspected that, uh, like a lot of the networking cable that we have in our office is older. Um, we, you know, they didn't replace it. It's just older networking cable. But even when, when we when we got the uh, new modem installed, we had the guy from the cable company there, and he was running the tests. And uh, every time we tried to go through our router, we had one of these Google Hub routers. Um, we were getting like, like you were getting like 300 and something. And we're like, no, that's not good enough, man. So he eventually plugged in some machine directly to the cable modem and said, no, it's doing, you know, 850, 900. So that's, that's good. He's like, you know, that's, we're only responsible up to the router. After that, it's up to you guys. So, first off, most of the people in the office, with the exception of John and myself, are on Wi-Fi. So, it's not really that big of an impact to them, right? I mean, they're, they're not going to have it. But what I ended up doing... So, we had a Cat5 cable from the Google Hub to the router, directly to the router. No switches in between it or anything. And even with that, we were still doing about... We were still at about 500 uh, down. So I went out and got a Cat Six cable. I'm like, I don't know shit. I don't even know if the, I don't even know if that Google Hub is compatible with Cat Six, but I'm gonna I'm gonna get it. <laughs> and I come back to the office and I plug it in. Bam! I mean, it shoots right up to seven, eight hundred down, and it's been it's been humming along ever since. I'm sure if we replaced all the networking cable here, we we'd get we'd probably get a gigabyte. Well, that's that is a, that is something that I went through recently. I did a couple months ago, replace all the wiring switches and hubs to gigabit level. Ah, there you go. So you're ahead of the game. So I'm ready. I'm ready to just drop the router in and be happy with it. Well, there you go. Sapphire. Would... I'm also it's funny. Running, it's cheaper uh, too. I'm just running the um, the five gigahertz band Wi-Fi. Yeah, we already talked about that. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> well, it's a lot faster. Oh, the Wi-Fi, you said. Oh, yeah, I thought yeah. you were talking about the... Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. The separate was when we moved in. So the the wiring in the walls 
is brand new. But he asked us, do you, do you just want Cat 5? And I didn't know that there was that big of a difference between 5 and 6. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah I was in the same boat. I mean, I I honestly didn't know it was even compatible. Like, if if, you, if we had, had to put in Cat Cat 6 and we had a switch, you know, I didn't. Even, I wasn't even sure if it was going to be compatible. Yeah, or not, it's just so. how it's just how tightly twisted the wires are inside the cable. Yeah, really, is that the only difference? Yeah, and and some magnetic okay. shielding. Interesting. Yeah. The problem with internal wiring is you have to use plenum cabling for wiring and walls because the normal Cat Five cable it's sheathed in a plastic that if it gets hot puts off toxic fumes so whenever you're running it for you know commercial purposes you have to use the expensive plastic and that cranks the price up super high so just going from five Mm -hmm. to six on plenum cable they'll screw you because they know that you're making a price point decision yeah well even buying i i I went to a hardware store and, and bought the cat six cable you know pre Redone, and um, I mean, even that was like three times as much as the Cat Five, Got which for one cable man. is not that bad, huh? Mono price. What's that a site? Yeah, yeah monoprice.com. You don't know about this? No. Any any AV equipment, any cabling of any kind, you need to be buying it from here. Okay. You get 50 feet of slim Cat 5E. Oh, Cat 6A. 50 feet of it for 12.59. Right. That's, How much is 50 feet for Cat 5? They don't even do Cat 5. Oh. Uh, right. Well, yeah. Yeah, I can already see, like, yeah, 5 feet of Cat 6. Yeah, 4 bucks. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that was about what they're paying for, or the, that was about the price of the Cat Five at the store. Yeah, it's I, I'm I'm a huge uh, uh, fan of Monoprice, you... as long as you don't care about how long it takes to get to you. Yeah, really, it's, it takes, takes a, while, like a week huh? and a half. Been years since that box. Really, a week and a half. God, was that ter- ter- been years since I bought from from Monoprice? But I also. Just... Don't buy a whole lot of networking equipment. I was not even not even aware that oh they have three D printers. God, Thomas, you still doing your three D uh, printing? I... You doing anything with your three D printer, Thomas? So I stopped doing much with the three D printer, and then the computer that drove the three D printer uh, expired magnificently. Okay. And so I've, I just haven't put the effort back into bringing the system back up to date and getting all my configure because it's months of configuration that I had on this thing, getting all the numbers precise and perfect and all the configuration values exact and all of that just went up in a puff of smoke. I have an office where I can put a 3D printer now. Although I'm I'm not even that big on the 3D printers anymore. I I want that laser cutters, the laser cutters they have out now. Laser cutters seem cool. I can think of Those a lot of things so I'd cool. like to do. Yeah. It's all it's all about your imagination and your 
experience modeling things, and I have zero of both. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I think I'd get it, and I just wouldn't be able to get do what do with it as you know that I want to do with it. Yeah. Whereas a laser printer, I could throw a Diego Dev logo on just anything. Right, as long as you've got a vector for it, you can just start burning stuff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you get that tattoo? Well, use a laser cutter. <laughs> on <cutter>. accident. <laughs> uh, I've I've got a story that I did. I read this. I did not believe it when I read it, and I don't think you what guys you will believe it either. Uh, it's Let's part of our it. ongoing series, the latest in chat applications of course everyone needs a hundred chat applications that's why the chat application manager shift was brought up in this program earlier the hottest new chat app for teens is google docs (laughs) okay there's no more there's no more real time than that The argument here is that schools have monitored, restricted Wi-Fi access and that kids are sitting on laptops working on Google Docs already because that's what teachers are using in some schools. And Mm -hmm. there is a chat collaboration system built into Google Docs or you can just spin up a new document and share it to your friends and they can start editing it with you. Yeah. And this article absolutely claims this is an absolutely real thing that teenagers are doing. And having having grown up in the era where every news station was telling t- parents what teens were doing and they were always wrong. <laughs> I was skeptical, so I contacted my daughter. And she confirmed, absolutely, she has friends that do this. We don't really pass physical notes anymore, said Skylar, 15, who, like all the other students in this story, is identified by a pseudonym. Okay, well, (laughs) why did you have to say that? I... Uh... Hey, it doesn't surprise me. me. There there are some teenagers out there, not the ones that my kids hang out with, but there are some that are just so damn smart. (laughs) (laughs) I saw that one coming. That's hilarious. Uh, Well, what was the old, uh, what was the old DOS protocol that used to send messages with? Send. It was funny because, like, you'd send it to somebody, they wouldn't know how to reply, so they'd yell at you across the room. Hey, yeah. how do I reply? <laughs> Net send. Net send, yeah. It's, right. I've, I've caught myself on several occasions going off on my long-winded stories to my children about what computers were like when I was their age. Mm-hmm. And how just basic functionality that they consider ubiquitous and everywhere was not invented until significantly after they were born. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My favorite was wall and on that, Linux machines. 
What was it called? Wall, where you just throw up to the console lo- uh, console wall. I'm not familiar with this one. Jump on any of them. So if we're on two different TTYs and you do wall, it's kind of like an admin message to everybody. Huh. Anyway. I was not aware of that one. My favorite was Windows NT null sessions, where if the administrator wasn't 100% educated on how NT worked, then you could log in as nobody and have permission to all of their shared drives. I, I don't think that was a thing on NT. I think that was a thing on Windows machines. I think that was the big thing with NT, is that that was one of the ones that you couldn't log in. No, I, I, I did it to NT and Windows 2000 machines all the time. Really? Null sessions were the most fun I had on the internet back in the day. <laughs> All right. Uh, I've got a I've got a special uh, doom and gloom for you. Okay. D- does it does it justify having your? There you go. It's it's for all the doom and gloomers out there that uh, hate themselves and want to feel pain. <laughs> it's wyag.thb.lt. And it so, is... John, this, this this would be example of when you would use Tor, when when, when you when you have Thomas just randomly saying letters as a URL for you to go to, you do that through Tor. This is a walkthrough, step by step, on how to recreate the Git command line in Perl. Everything... And the reason, hmm? the reason, the reason for this, and why is this doom and gloom? Well, if you, it's doom and gloom because it's it's only for people who truly hate themselves. But <laughs> the reason you would do this is because after after writing the entirety of the Git command line, you will know how Git works at its very lowest level. I know how Git works. I know enough of Git I need to get through the day. See what I did there? Yes. But do you hate yourself? Because if you hate yourself, myself. then you don't know enough about I've been Git. Caught, I've been caught loving myself too often. <laughs> All right, now I know it's time to close this uh, episode out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh. <sighs> I I, right. I had so little it? I had so little doom and gloom this week that there hasn't been a doom and gloom newsletter released. Oh, you're a failure. I know. That's it's right. a lot of stuff came up yesterday. So listen, if you're a Patreon and you're up in Canada, I'm working an angle with you guys. I'm gonna try to get you guys some swag. I uh, I got a good friend of mine coming for a visit. I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can convince him into taking some swag back to Canada with him and mailing it for me. So, so you guys know, and buttery, you're still on our radar too. We're gonna we're gonna figure out something for you as well. Yes, we'll find you. 
We will, <laughs> we will lanyard you. Oh, Buttery. Buttery just posted, I hate myself, but not as much. I'd rather implement it in COBOL. I uh, I just built shelves uh, here in the office and brought in a bunch of my old books. And one of, one of the books I brought in was my old college COBOL textbook. And I'm like, I'm looking, I'm like, holy crap, I probably could throw this away. Nah, I'm going to keep it. <laughs> I had a, got a COBOL textbook over in our conference room here. My, I'm with you, Butter. My prize book is my me, my basic reference book. When I taught myself your basic reference, yeah, to the basic programming language. That's how I taught myself programming back when I was ten, eleven years old. Is just flipping through this reference book, finding a new command, like reading it, and like, oh, this is how this works. Let me go try it in a in an app or you know, mm -hmm. a little basic program. And I still have that. Somewhere out in my garage. Yeah. Yeah, bring it in, man. We have bookshelves now. <laughs> All right, is that it? Are we done? Yes. Episode one forty four in the can? You you don't want to cover your cold wallets thing. I heard about um, this, but I Yeah, that that's been up for a couple of weeks. We can talk about it next week, maybe. That's old. Right. It's old news now. I, I actually added it the March second. All right. We'll talk about it next week. Yeah. Some of us have to wait. All righty. Yeah. Are we are we, we sticking to this new time? I would like to if we can. I suppose. I suppose so. Uh, we we actually didn't mention it on the podcast. We uh, we're recording an hour earlier than normal because uh, John has some kind of sleeping problem he's a princess he needs I, I yeah. needs this princess just started waking up earlier so I'd like to get to bed before one o'clock whatever alright hey All right, that's gonna be it we're done got things I wanna do in the episode morning. 144 in the can I'm your host Eric Fair Johnson and I'm John Congdon I'm Tom Rideout. Who's doing the counting down? Keep it ugly. Keep it ugly. Keep it ugly. <laughs> I like making it weird at the end. Thanks for listening to this episode of PHP Ugly, and thanks to our sponsors, the Diego Dev Group. If you're looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then reach out to the Diego Dev Group. You can find the Diego Dev Group at www.diegodev.com. That's www.diegodev.com. Show notes and RSS feeds can be found at www.phpugly.com. Follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at phpugly or join us in our Discord channel. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or in your favorite podcast listener. A rating of five stars is always appreciated. Until next time, keep it ugly.